0: lying and solemn on the guest bed like a newborn gangly giraffe. Murph snores. Most people that I hear snore have this violent growl pouring out of them, almost as if they were a possessed dog. For example, my brother. A bathroom separates our bedrooms, so whenever I go to brush my teeth late at night, I hear his snore ringing low and quietly, as if it will continue into a song, but then it swiftly kicks into a kind of a bark or a snarl or even a loud bite. However, Murph's purring more like a cat. A stupid cat. A stupid fat cat. A stupid fat cat that's eaten enough to fill its little belly and is asleep without any guilt. Murph is neither stupid nor fat. I just don't like cats. The bed is in a cramped attic space and I bounce my head off the ceiling like three fucking times trying to shimmy in beside him. I look over at Murph, and my eyes are gifted, with a man who is absolutely, as one would put nicely, God, Head tilted, mouth open, fully clothed, legs spread like a bashed cripple. Audibly, this young man lies in peace, but visually, he has the perceivable representation of a strangled hog, I checked the time. 8.03. I'm The night before was scheduled to be the best night of the year – 12 pubs. This happens usually at the start of the Christmas break, in around the 23rd of December. 12 pubs is self-explanatory. You go to 12 different pubs and drink 12 different pints, I hope. The inaugural event should be performed in groups. And unless you are spineless, unloyal or dare I say, religious, It should be the same group every year. For me, my close friend group joins with three or four other close friend groups that went to the same secondary school as us. We have a list of pubs and a list of rules. Break the rules and you have to drink a shot. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm sure you know what a glorified pub crawl is. I'll get to the good part. So I'm stumbling to pub two after shitting, pissing and puking all over my crotch. I'm joking. Two of them didn't happen. In fact, none of the ones beginning with P. I actually only got sick in pub 2, which was the result of a work Christmas party the night before. Which makes it the night before, the night before now. Pub 6 was a skinny pub. One so narrow it has a smoking area that leaves you with cigarette burns coming out. The barman looked delighted to be so busy. Not all pub owners are too happy with 12 pub participants, probably because they themselves are out of touch, mentally from the current era or generation and don't fully understand nor trust us. I remember leaning over to pay him for my west coast cooler and overhearing a lad in his mid-twenties telling a girl she's some horse of a woman but she couldn't shite walking. I moved on into the next room and found the lads watching Ricky play a game of pool against what looked like the regular to the pub or just an old trooper not letting go of his post-Sunday mass pints. It seemed like everyone was out, except the only young one you want to bump into, even though she's been to every pub you've been to, according to her Instagram stories. Let it go. That was a senior infant's fling. Things change. People change. The next five pubs went quick. In fact, they're best described in the form of an art gallery tour guide interpreting paintings. We're standing in front of the Giovanni Torlini's Pub 7 otherwise known as the drink spill. Notice the emotions of fear and agitation the artist portrays on the young man as he tries to dab the Guinness stain off the fledging woman's Christmas jumper. Moving on to pub 8, a Renaissance painting sold for the price of one pint. A little easter egg for you conspiracy lovers out there. Every person wearing a GAA top in this painting has an awkward arm position due to the unnecessary tensing of their biceps. Now, we may as well make our way down the hall because pubs 9 and 10 seem to be just two pitch black squares surrounded by fancy frames. Ah yes, pub 11. This last piece highlights the tools of visual analysis. Its name, Inration puri, which is Latin for Group photo is a bit of a paradox, as it's said that never in the history of any twelve pubs has the full group managed to get in the same picture. Apparently, at least one person a year misses this shot due to lengthy barbecues and inevitable toilet talk. We reached the nightclub, pub twelve, where Colin kept telling us he was heading home, but never actually left. I don't know why he does it, but when that man is hammered, he'll get up, say goodbye to all of us and disappear into the nightclub crowd. However, an hour or so later, when you would journeyed to the other side of the nightclub for a drink or something, you'd find him standing on his own, still present, dazed like a drunken zombie. He'd probably even start saying goodbye again and try and make his way out of the place for a second time. I actually have no idea what the man gets up to in this space between. I imagine he ends up being dragged to a secret underground basement where a session's on that includes all his childhood heroes such as Garfield, He-Man and Dustin the Turkey. I imagine he's surprised to be in this dreamlike world full of awe-riddled fascination trying to ask his idols personal questions followed by trying to somehow relate everything back to his love for them. His beloved icons ignore his every question while they strap their arms with elastic ropes and press 70 centimeter per mil irrigation needles into their veins screaming NOT ENOUGH! NOT ENOUGH! I imagine Cullen doesn't have enough time to react to his heroin doing heroin and the scene escalates so uncommonly fast to them repeatedly smashing three needles at a time into their cephalic veins not caring about the elastic straps anymore they've loosened to the point of not being effective I imagine. I imagine. It's all I can do. Imagine that Cullen now realises he in some sort of demonic lair that he needs to be exempt from. That his deities are now making direct eye contact with him, panting, You gotta try it, man. It'll change your soul. It's like your veins are having a pool party and all your friends are invited. Crying on his hands and knees, declaring he'd never felt the touch of an elderly woman, and he's not ready to die, he begs to leave. He-Man turns around and looks at Cullen. Oh my god. What did you think? What, did you think we were holding a Oh my god. Get, get out. Get out. Get out now. We will never... Who do you think we are? He opens the door. With ease and no hassle. Returns to the main dance floor, carrying a collection of thoughts. And is greeted seconds later by one of the boys. I thought you were gone. Get the fuck out of here. Judgmental eyes spread out across the bar by Barney, Connor and myself. The metallic piping attached to the bar acts as an elbow rest for one arm while our vodka dashes act as a counterweight for the other arm. This forms the perfect leaning demeanour. (laughs) Ha ha, look who it is. Barney squeaks, pointing to a guy we used to go to primary school with. I always feel like there's a special bond with your ex-primary school friends. A stronger bond than that of a secondary school or even college friend. These are the people you were introduced to the real world with. The people you learned how to socialise with that weren't teaching you how to behave. Therefore, the first friends you had no alibi with as to why to be your friend. This making it all the more embarrassing when they come over to you to say hi and you call them Paul when their name is Ben. Uh, or, call, C- yeah. Um, we continue to scan the room for more familiar faces. Not to judge them, but to judge small town behavior itself. Couple at a booth. Three possibly Romanian lads dancing and tensing in v neck tops. Another couple at a booth. Four girls at a table. None recognizable. One guy dancing on his own. Uh, what looks to, What looks like a French teacher with accelerated ageing... What looks like a French teacher with accelerated ageing... Ageing? Anging's not a word! What looks like a (laughs) freight... What looks like a freight train... What looks like... What looks like a French teacher with accelerated ageing stumbles over to him, whining... You were my favourite student! No... To which he replies... I hated you! And bumps her, crotch first, into the dancing crowd... Four lads standing at a table with pints. One tall, two medium height, one small. They may not share the same altitude, but they do participate equally in glazing like rapists. We stumble out of the nightclub around half two in the morning, joining the discussion between getting a kebab, pizza or Eddie Rockets. Well, Eddie Rockets was never really an option, but if you're going to make a list of something, you have to have at least three things. S- stuff or Objects. I wave down a taxi, trying not to drop my kebab and me and Murph head home. He is a useless human being at this moment in time. I carry him up the spiral staircase while his semi-conscious body dangles in my arms. I look out the ceiling window into the night sky and utter, no man left behind. Murph glows brightly. He is now a six-foot halo and sings Ave Maria in my ear to give me strength. I reach the side of the bed and pause. I glance upon his limp body in my forklift and try to look into his eyes, but he does not return the favour. He's out cold. I lower my head close to his and drop him. He falls in slow motion, his fringe not moving a single inch as it's held down by sweat and gel. Drool slips from his bottom lip and is caught by his right nostril such as a baseball being caught in a glove. He wakes mid-fall, gazes into my eyes, points to his chest and mouths the words. Weird cheese freaks will never make history. Either that or I'm bad at liberating.